Now, as we come to the book of Acts chapter 9, that means we're going to be actually reintroduced to someone we've already met sort of before, uh, just in passing. But we're introduced to a guy named Saul. And chapter 9, most of chapter 9 is, is his story. And it's a story when you read it, it's almost unbelievable. Uh, if you could just try to imagine that you're either hearing this story or reading this passage for the very first time, and you read about Saul and all that happened, the events of Saul's life would seem almost preposterous if they weren't, in fact, true. Um, because in chapter 9, we see the villain of the story, you know, the, the, the guy who's persecuting the church. Within one chapter, he starts his journey towards becoming a champion for Christ. And that happens because what we see happening in Saul's life is transformation. It is a total transformation in Christ Jesus. And if you'd like to follow along with me in our passage, I'm going to read, it's a pretty long one, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 22. Beginning of verse 1, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men traveling who were with, traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he is here, uh, he, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose 
and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that, that Lord... Well, that maybe today is our Damascus Road experience. Lord, uh, even in traveling this road here to this church and sitting in this seat, that, Lord, we would have an encounter with you uh, where your light would shine upon our lives, where we would know that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Lord, I pray that you would speak to the people here through my words, that, Lord, if there's any distractions or hindrances or just things on our mind, that, Lord, we would push them aside at this time just, just to listen to that still, small voice of your Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would give me strength and focus. Lord, I pray that, Lord, all of us would have eyes and ears that are ready to see and hear from you, and that, Lord, in all of these things, you would be greatly glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin with a humorous old story. Maybe you've heard it before, but... Um, it's about a fellow who was raised sort of in the backwoods of West Virginia. And when I say backwoods, I mean the out in the sticks, the way, way backwoods. Uh, you know, he had never in his life, you know, even seen a big city or even set foot in a town uh, with more than just a couple hundred people. I mean, that was a busy day. To say the least of, you know, having ever seen some of the modern inventions and conveniences we're, we're used to or things like neon lights or anything like that. And this fellow, he married a girl just like himself. And they had a son whom they creatively called Junior. Um, and around the time Junior reached his 16th birthday, his mom and dad began to realize it wouldn't be too many more years before, you know, their son would become a man and he'd have to strike out on his own. And it troubled the dad that his boy would, you know, reach manhood without sort of being prepared to face life in, in the real world. So they, began, they came up with a plan, and they began saving some money in order to take a trip. And it took them three long years, but finally the big day arrived to take Junior to the big city. They tossed their belongings in the back of their old pickup truck, and they, they started the long journey to the city. And their plan was to spend just a couple of nights at a very swanky hotel and just take in all the sights of the place. You know, as they approached the outskirts of what seemed to them to be this metropolis, all the busyness, all the cars, all the people, Papa began to get a little nervous. So he said, Mama, when we pull into the hotel, you stay in the truck while Junior and I go in and have a look around. And if it's safe, we'll come back and get you. Well, Mama thought that was a good idea too. So when they arrived at the hotel, they were made the uniformed doorman came, opened their door, greeted them as they pulled up. But Mama stayed put while Papa and Junior walked sort of wide-eyed into this experience of this hotel. And they couldn't believe their eyes. I mean, it was so much to take in. 
I mean, when they stepped on this mat in front of the doors, the doors opened automatically. Wow, like just amazing. Inside they stood like statues as they, they, they took in the first chandelier any of them had ever seen before. And it was hanging from a ceiling three stories high. Off to the left was this enormous indoor waterfall rippling over these inlaid rocks and stones. There was this long mall where busy shoppers were going in and out of these stores with all of their packages. Down below, people were skating on an ice rink, again, inside. Both of them just stood silently watching, breathlessly, one sight after another. And then one of them noticed they kept hearing this dinging sound coming from behind them. So finally, Papa turned around and he saw these series of doors down this hallway that these doors slid open from the middle. And people would, would wait at the doors and the doors would open and, you know, they'd, sometimes they'd push a button and the doors would open and they'd walk in the lights above the doors would flicker and then ding, the doors would open again and, you know, other people would walk out of this little room and it was the strangest thing. Ding, people go in, ding, other people come out. They had no idea what this room was. But by now, the the father and son, they were totally transfixed. And then at this moment, this very sweet but very wrinkled old lady shuffled up to the doors all by herself, and she pushed the button, waited only a few seconds, and ding, the doors opened, and, you know, with a swish, and she hobbled into the, the little room and turned around, and as she's looking, the doors closed, and, you know, no one stepped in, so... You know, doors shut, and then they heard this buzzing sound, and then not more than 20 seconds later, the doors opened again, and in the place of this old lady stood this incredible, beautiful, young, blonde woman in high heels, just a total knockout. And she stepped out and sort of smiled at them as she walked by, and the father and son looked at each other, not believing what they had just seen. And Junior asked, Papa, what do you think just happened to that old lady? It was then Papa nudged the boy and says, I don't know, son, but it's time to get your mama. (laughs) I don't know how many times mama had to ride that elevator, but um, that may seem like a long way to go to introduce our topic this morning, but I want to talk to you this morning about transformation. And, you know, we could wish that in our lives... All the changes we had to face were as quick and as easy or painless as simply pushing a button or getting on an elevator. And yet, when we look at the life of Saul, you know, and the events we find in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, we see the change that is taking place in his life is almost as dramatic as that old lady on the elevator. Because realize, Saul was not a nice person. Kind of an awful person. I mean, just as our passage begins, we read in verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's the Christian faith, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now Chuck Swindoll says about Saul that, had they newspapers or magazines in his day, Saul's picture would have been on the front page. And the headline would have read, Religious Zealot of the Decade. Saul was the ultimate sort of religious 
overachiever. And he had all the tools that he needed to turn that into a life of success and power. I mean, Saul had a pure racial heritage. He came from a good family. He, he studied at all the right schools yet with all the right teachers. He had status and influence among his peers. And he was ambitious. Saul worked harder and longer and more fervently to earn his place than any of those around him. And Saul was also passionately serious about his belief in God, and he was even more zealous about keeping the rules. He was a Pharisee even among the Pharisees. But even then, there was one thing that sort of set Saul apart from his peers. And that was Saul hated the church. He hated the followers of Jesus Christ. They were basically against everything he sort of stood for. And we're told in our passage in verse 1, he was breathing out threats and murder against these people. When you read that, I mean, you can almost feel the loathing that he had as he went out of his way to make life miserable for Christians. Persecuting them. Locking them in prison, abusing them, dragging them from their hiding places in chains in order to put them on trial. Saul was public enemy number one for believers in the first century. But then something happened that I'm sure Saul never expected. And that's one lonely, on the lonely road on his way to Damascus one day, Jesus shows up and introduces himself. And in the instant, Saul knows that this Jesus that he hated was not merely some carpenter in Nazareth. He was Jesus, the Lord Almighty. And that encounter begins in Saul a process of transformation. And I want to take you through that process this morning as it happens to Saul because, believe it or not, it's a process that happens to us all. All of us who are in Christ Jesus. And Saul's experience may have been a bit more on the fantastical side with you know, blinding lights and a voice from heaven. But you know, in our own way, what happens to Saul happens to all of us who believe. Because transformation is a work that God does in all of our lives. And that transformation begins with revelation. And revelation is simply God revealing to us the truth about himself. And for Saul, that meant being confronted with a truth he probably would have preferred to avoid. Beginning of verse 3, says, Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Suddenly, Saul had to come to terms in his life with the fact that Jesus was God. He had to come to terms with the fact that, you know, the same voice that had spoke creation into existence, the same voice that, that called out to Adam in the Garden of Eden, the same voice that spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai was also the same voice that had cried out, it is finished on the cross. And it was the same voice that was speaking to him now. Saul had to wrap his head around the fact that so much of what he had believed about God was wrong. And that Jesus was and is the Savior of the world. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus is the Christ, 
the promised Messiah. And that Jesus is God himself. And you know, the same needs to be true for us as well. Until we as individuals understand Jesus Christ for who he is and and understand what he has done, until we have heard and grasped the beauty and the profound grace of the gospel, until the Holy Spirit shows up and testifies to our hearts about the truth of Jesus, until that moment, change is not going to happen. We're just fooling ourselves. Because this is something only God can do. God has to reveal himself to us. Without God and his grace to reveal himself to us, we would still be in the dark. We would be spiritually blind. And for Saul, Jesus did that in a conversation that they had along the Damascus Road. But for us here today, the best way and the truly authoritative way that God reveals himself to us is through his word. It's through through the Bible. The Bible is God's truth about himself. And you know, everything that's essential to living a life of faith is found for us in the word of God. And the power of the word of God can have in your life, in your life, can be just as powerful and it can be just as life-changing as the experience that Saul had on the Damascus Road. Listen to just a few passages. Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, For every good work. God's revelation to us is the Bible. And it's the truth that we need to know to be changed. But it's also truth that can very much turn a person's world upside down. That actually leads to our second lesson about transformation. Which is humiliation. And I don't mean when I use that word that, that we need to let people make fun of us or that God wants to shame us. What I mean is that the message of God's truth needs to be accepted humbly in our lives. Because many people, when they get to this point, they actually face a dilemma. Because you know what? If Jesus is who he says he is, and if Jesus has done what he says he has done, then Jesus deserves nothing less than my entire devotion and my entire life. And that's where things usually break down. Because so many people choose to harden their hearts to that truth so that they can keep on living their own way. I know of so many people that when it comes to accepting Jesus, the stumbling block is not about accepting the truth of Jesus or what Jesus has done. The stumbling block is really their unwillingness to surrender their lives to Christ. And Saul must have had a moment like that along that road too. You know, even as we read, continuing in verse 6, It says, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but not seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and though his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And just think about that moment. I mean, Jesus has just told Saul, you know, Saul, you're wrong about everything. 
You know, and all of his learning, all of his prestige, all of his pride, all that stuff just came crashing down all around him. He probably couldn't have actually believed how spiritually blind he had been. And now he was like literally blind on top of that. And Saul found himself helpless. I mean, he had to be led by the hand into the city. And then for three days, he doesn't eat or drink. He just prays. Because he's a man whose whole entire worldview has just collapsed into rubble. And that's a tough place to be. But you know what? I tell you the truth, I give Saul credit for his response here. Because notice at this point, Saul, he doesn't start making excuses. He's like, yeah, God, that's true, but you don't know all the circumstances, right? He doesn't try to justify his mistakes or, or lay blame uh, on someone else. That's just what I was taught. I was just, you know, And he doesn't pout. And he doesn't harden his heart in bitterness and refuse to hear the truth and refuse to believe. Instead, what we see happening is before the undeniable truth of who Jesus is, Saul does something very important. All right, we good? Yeah, there we are. All right, where were we? All right. Um, so yeah, he doesn't pout. He doesn't harden himself in bitterness and say, I refuse to just accept what is true. I know it's true, but I just don't want to accept that in my life. Instead, before this undeniable truth of who Jesus is, Saul does the most important thing. He comes to terms with the fact that he was wrong, and he accepts the truth. Jesus humbles Saul with the truth of who he is. And you know what? Even then, though, God shows his compassion. Because God's purpose was not to break Saul with this truth. God's purpose was to remake Saul. Even as we read a little later in our passage, verse 13, said, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he is here, here he has the authority of the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God had a plan for Saul's life. And you know, just as a side here, uh, when we say that God wants to transform you, when we say that God wants to change your life, a lot of people hear that and they're kind of afraid. You know, a lot of people hear that and think, well, God wants to turn me into someone or something else, something that I'm not. Or God wants me to, he's going to turn me into some kind of mindless robot. I can't think for myself. I just have to do what I'm told, that kind of thing. But you need to hear this. Because when I say God transforms your life, He does that to help you become more of who you are. God's transformation in our lives makes us more fully into the people that he created us to be in the first place. Everything that God had, 
Everything that God had planned for Saul was because that is what God created Saul to do in his life. And Saul will find that all of those passions that he had, all of that zeal that he had, is now channeled perfectly into being a servant of God. He takes this Saul who he created, who was on the wrong track, puts him on the right track. And he becomes this amazing servant. And again, if we want to be transformed like that in our own lives, we need to get our hearts into a place of humility. The place where we're willing to admit our own need and our own mistakes and our own shortfalls. And we're just ready to say, God, you can take the lead. I once heard a pastor call that the most dangerous prayer. It's a prayer that says, God, I surrender. God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll pay any price you need me to pay. I want to be where you want me to be. I want to invite you into my life, into my relationships, into my decisions, into my business, into my everything. I want to stop playing God in my life and start letting you be God. Because it's nothing less than he deserves. That's the second step in our transformation. Humility. Which is now also tied to the third. Which is salvation. Saul was saved. And again, we read in our passage, verse 17, So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized. Saul believes and is baptized as a follower of Christ. And again, keep in mind the people that Saul was working for, the priests and the, high, the Pharisees, you know, when they hear that news, it would have been a death sentence for Saul. And you know, I can understand how Ananias would have been hesitant when Jesus spoke to him about Saul. You know, you know probably he thought this is some kind of trap. You know, Saul's surely faking it just to get the, the Christians come out of the Lord work and he's going to arrest them all. But, but Jesus assures him, no, Saul's salvation is genuine. And it's important to note here that when Saul is saved, Jesus doesn't put him on some kind of... Uh, you know, probationary salvation program to see, you know, if this salvation's really going to stick in a guy as bad as Saul. You know, it's not like when your clothes are really dirty and you have to go to the, the extra dirty wash setting. You know, it wasn't, you know, Saul, you can be saved, but, you know, only if you go forward and you're going to show a record of good behavior, and then it just, you know, it's not conditional. Understand, when Saul is saved here, his salvation was not in question. And it wasn't in question just because Saul was kind of an awful person before he came to Christ. Because Saul didn't save Saul. Jesus saved Saul. And the cross was sufficient to pay for the sins, even the sins of a person as cruel as Saul. So Saul is saved. And he is saved fully and completely and totally. And it is by the grace of God. And none of you know, his works... None of his deeds, none of his rituals or the ceremony, the self-righteousness that he had been so proud of as a Pharisee or anything else. None of that stuff mattered. It doesn't matter for us either. No matter how good a life we try to live, 
no matter how much our neighbors respect us, no matter how much you know, status we have to our credit or money we have in the bank, no matter how many little old ladies we help across the street, every one of us is saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ. And Saul, he went from the worst enemy of the church, I mean, the denier of Jesus Christ, the persecutor of the faith, and because of the grace of God, he became Saul, the forgiven, beloved child of God. And there were no stops along the way. Because the power and the magnitude of God's grace and forgiveness is astounding. I'm not, it's not even a big enough word for it. And you know, I will sometimes hear a person say, yeah, that grace stuff is nice, but God wouldn't want to save a person like or after all that I've done, or all the people that I've heard, or the thoughts that I've had, you know, God doesn't want me. God couldn't change me. God, God wouldn't love me like that. You know, I, I'm just too far gone. Saul proves how wrong that is. When Jesus saves us, we are made new. We're changed. We are redeemed. We are justified. We're declared holy. We are filled with the Spirit. We are children of God. We need to let that truth speak to the deepest part of who we are. Did this one just die too? No, no. Is it me? Is it? Talk amongst yourself. All right. No? Yes? Oh, there it is. Oh, man. Oh. Because part of being transformed is understand, just understanding how fully forgiven we truly are. But you know, even then, we're not done yet. As we see Saul, one more step. As Saul is also sanctified. Sanctification. And you know, sanctification, another theological fancy word. Really, sanctification is about holiness. It's about Christ continuing work in our lives to make us more like him. You can call it growing in your faith. You can call it spiritual formation. You call it maturity in Christ. But the lesson is really that our transformation continues as God continues to work in our lives. Salvation is just the beginning. And we see that in Saul. Even in this short passage, again, verse 18. It says, Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples. At Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who, who made havoc in Jerusalem for those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this person to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And we're probably, yeah, we're pretty tight on time here. But let me give you four quick things uh, that I see Saul doing here that are part of this change that we see. It's part of his growth, part of his sanctification. Uh, first thing that we see is Saul becomes part of a Christian community. It says he spent many days with the disciples. Basically, you can think of that. Saul joined a good church. A church full of people who were, you would be with him, who would be able to love him and support him and encourage him in this new walk, this new life with Jesus. Because you know what? Fellowship is an important part of our continuing growth. And it should not be overlooked. Second thing we see happening here 
And this may be reading between the lines a little bit, but, you know, as part of that community, Saul would have been discipled. You know, there were people in that community who could teach him more about Jesus, who could answer some of the questions I'm sure that he had, who could fill in some of those gaps in his understanding when it came to Christ and who he was. Because we should all, again, be a part of a group that talks about Jesus, that has good Jesus conversation, has, has good teaching from the Bible about who Jesus Christ is. He was discipled. Then the third thing we see is Saul begins telling everyone that he can about Jesus immediately. There's no hesitation in him to share this good news. And there shouldn't be. I mean, if you had invented a cure for cancer, you'd probably call every newspaper in town and let them know. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed that you have the words of life to share with people around you. Don't hesitate to let people know what Jesus has done for you. And you know, if you want to grow in your faith, start sharing Jesus with others. I know that doesn't always maybe logically connect, but it's true. If you want to grow in your faith, share your faith with the people around you. And then finally, what we see in Saul is we see we see Saul just beginning to live out his salvation, fully living his life for Christ. In fact, people say they, they can't believe the change. It's like, is this Saul? Like, isn't that isn't like he the guy? Like, how they couldn't even in their heads wrap around that he's now sitting proclaiming Christ in the synagogue. And you know, for Saul, the, the moment that he met Jesus, every second of every day that he had left on earth. For him was an opportunity to live for Christ. And in the same way, just living every moment of our lives with Jesus and for Jesus can make such an amazing difference. It's transformation. No, you know, I've heard some call it, and I love this word, a holy discontent. And normally when we think of being discontent, we think of it as a bad thing. But when it comes to Christ, a holy discontent is just, it's that desire that is within us for more. A holy discontent is, is not being satisfied with the status quo. It's not being content to just you know, put our faith in cruise control. A holy discontent is not being willing to settle for a mediocre walk with God. Holy discontent is a hunger. It's a growing passion. It's a spiritual awakening in the heart of the man or woman that desires more of God. It's captured in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 61.1. says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Saul lived for Christ with that kind of passion. And because of that and everything else we've heard this morning, Saul was changed. His life was transformed. And he went from aiding the Jews to astonishing the Jews. He went from bringing death to proclaiming life in Christ. He went from persecuting Christians to preaching Christ. And he went from being Saul of Tarsus to Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus. Saul was a man who knew exactly what he was talking about when he himself wrote the words of 2 Corinthians 5.17 where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And that's the lesson of Saul. And you know, you could maybe ask the question, did Saul have any regrets looking back on his life? 
Well, I'll let Saul's words speak for themselves in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, where he gives this testimony. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. And I hope that we would all have that as our desire this morning. And you know, if you're not there yet, know that today could be your turnaround day. Today could be the beginning of your transformation. Let Jesus reveal himself to you through the word of God. Humble yourself before him as you surrender and repent. Accept his salvation knowing you are made new in Christ and fully forgiven. And then grow in faith as you let God continue to do a new work in your life. And as you live, just live with passion. Live with purpose. Live for Christ. Because in Christ, life is never the same again. Because in Christ, we are truly transformed. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this passage, and even as I think about Saul, um, it is overwhelming to think of the grace that you have for sinners. And Lord, we are so thankful for the grace that you have shown to him, that we're thankful for the grace that you have shown to us. And that your grace is at work in our own lives. And that it's transforming us. That is your goal, that is your desire. Because Lord, you, were, you loved us too much to let us stay the same. You loved us too much as you looked down from heaven you know, at people who were lost in sin. Lord, you loved us too much to let us stay that way. So you sent your son to the cross to die on our sins. And that, Lord, now you offer us a hope and a future and transformation. And, Lord, we are saved. And as we're saved, we are transformed. We are new creations in Christ. Transformed to be more of who you created us to be. And Lord, I pray that that process would be at work in our own life. That Lord, you would reveal us to us more and more the truth of who you are. That Lord, we would humble our hearts before you. That we would repent and surrender and allow you to lead. That Lord, we would just embrace our salvation. Knowing how fully forgiven we truly are in Christ. And that Lord, we would grow in our faith with a holy discontent. Never satisfied, but always desiring more of you, living every moment of our lives for you completely from this moment out. And that, Lord, as we do that, Lord, we are amazed at the lives that we see changed all around us. We thank you, Lord, that in Christ we are new creations. The old is gone, and the new has truly come. In Jesus' name, amen.